if you will set a certain pattern in your life through habits, it will actually produce a greater passion for God. Sometimes we wait for our passions and you say, I just don't have any passion for Jesus. Well, it's because the pattern in your life is suffocating your passion for God, you know? And so when we change those patterns, our passions come alive. How do you unlock the full potential of your influence and create the lasting change that you are destined for? I am your co-host, Dave Donaldson. Thanks, Dave. And I am your co-host, Scott Young. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. Join us each week for exciting stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals from around the globe. As we are empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nations. How do you influence in hard places where others may not even be looking for your influence? And what would lead someone to start a church in one of the least church areas of the country? Our guest today on the Influencers Podcast, Justin Kendrick, who is the lead pastor of Vox, which he founded with some friends in 2011, on the doorstep of Yale University. Since then, Vox has grown into multiple locations across New England, with a real dream of seeing Vox Church penetrate this unspiritual, unchurched area and transform it to become vibrant, spiritual, and alive. Justin lives with his wife outside New Haven, Connecticut, with his wife and four children, three wonderful boys and a beautiful baby girl. Mm-hmm. Justin, we want to thank you for joining us here on the Influencers Podcast. Thanks so much for being a part and uh, welcome, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. You grew up, you are a native New Englander? I am. I am. Yeah. And you grew up in what part of New England? Yeah, so uh, mom and dad were, you know, recovering hippies and uh, not uh, really focused much on Jesus by any means and uh, right in the New Haven area. So New Haven is, I think, the sixth largest New England city and, uh, you know, not a massive area, not a not a huge city, but um, certainly an influential city with Yale University right at its heart and Yale Hospital, kind of well known all over the world. But uh, but beyond that, a small city in between, you know, New York and Boston. But uh, that was home for me for uh, all growing up. And uh, parents were divorced, um, didn't really know or experience Jesus until uh, high school. So how did that happen? What brought you from this secular family into a relationship with God through Christ? Yeah, so, you know, my story is, I think, like a lot of our stories, a story of absolute grace. Looking back, I can't say that I was searching for God or uh, inquiring, you know, I was really just living life, playing basketball, chasing girls, a very typical teenager in the 90s. And, uh, and Jesus stepped in uh, through my dad, my dad started attending a church, he was searching uh, he was, you know, gone through a, a difficult divorce with mom and uh, was really just searching my older brother and I, he started dragging us to a church in downtown New Haven. And that was the first time I heard about Jesus. We were Catholic and, and I had a, an idea of God, but I had genuinely never opened the Bible and we didn't attend church very often before then. And so uh, I can remember the very first time at this inner city church, a very diverse church, uh, an amazing church, a pastor I'm still friends with, but he just shared a simple presentation of Jesus and what he had done and that the grace of God was available to me. And I can remember just being 
like struck by lightning. Like I just, as a teenage kid shaken to my core and I can recall so clearly, you know, it was like a classic altar call. I like a Billy Graham altar call. You know, I went up to the front. I was the only person that responded that day, standing up there, freshman in high school, looking around going, what am I doing up here? You know? And, uh, and for me, that experience with Jesus was instantly transformational. I can remember weeks later, my friend saying, what happened to you? Wow. And, and me just saying, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have any language for yeah. it. You know, I don't know what happened, yeah. um, but I know that I've met Jesus. And, uh, and that was the beginning of a, of a significant change for me. So you want to see that happen in other people and you, you traveled in a band and you talked about Jesus. At what I point did. Did. Yeah. You know, it's wild how God uses you, right? And the unexpected ways. And so my dad was a musician growing up. He was playing bars and clubs all through uh, my early years and I was running sound for him. And so I'd always been around music. I started playing guitar when I was probably four. I can't even remember learning guitar. I was so young. I just, it was like a part of who I was. And so I was writing songs and in a band by the fifth grade, sixth grade. And, um, and then when I met Jesus, it was like, you know, I got swept up in, into worship and uh, leading worship. I met my wife that way. She was a keyboard player and a singer. And uh, we got married and God had really just breathed on our little group. And we started traveling all over the world. The problem was I'm an okay singer, but a little bit more of a preacher than I am a singer. And so I would just start talking during concerts and uh, pretty soon people stopped inviting me to sing and just invited me to speak. And so uh, I had to come to terms with the fact that my gifting wasn't fully aligned with my occupation, but I did do full-time traveling music ministry for seven years. It was great. Yeah. And, and you had this idea at some point of the journey to start Vox. Yes. So just let me ask Vox, where does that come from? Yeah, yeah, it was inspired by John 5.25, where Jesus says the day is coming and it's now here, where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And that verse just captivated my thoughts. He says that day's here. He says now is the time where people can hear the voice of the Son of God and live. And that word voice is the, the Latin word is vox. And yeah, so yeah, okay. we, just, we thought, can we be a voice in an area, you know, the Northeast New England is the least church region in the United States. Yep. Our friends at the Barna Group constantly tell us how irreligious we are in this part yep. of the country. And uh, growing up here, um, I had never really seen a church rapidly expand through reaching people with the gospel. I just hadn't seen it. And I had partnered with dozens of churches all across New England. And I was frustrated by that. And um, it was in 2010 that I started to just feel this very strong call to plant churches across New England. And I was terrified. You know, I thought, boy, I'm going to die with 35 people in my church by myself, you know. Uh, but God had other plans. And from the first day we started the church, it was like uh, a spiritual explosion happened um, in a very unexpected place. We were about 25 steps from the front door of Yale, wow. uh, right in this little nightclub that we rented for our first service. And as hundreds of people flooded in, uh, news outlets from all over New England covered it, put us on the front page of every paper. We didn't even know it was happening. There was nine of us at the time organizing this. And um, we started a second location in year one, and uh, we're, we're at nine locations right now. And in six of the largest New England cities, seeing hundreds of people meet Jesus in an area where people are just uh, totally unaware of the truth of the gospel. So New England, though spiritually 
tough right now was the hotbed of revivals that have it sure was across the nation. So may God continue to pour his grace on you and may it happen again. Yes. Hey, you know, Scott, it's also uh, the epicenter of the biggest controversy in America right now. Uh, Tom Brady and coach uh, Belichick. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, that's uh, Justin, do you have any commentary on that for us? You know, I do. So I'm in Southern New England, right? And, uh, and so I am one of the few that uh, my allegiance is to the New York Giants. And so wow. growing up in my house, I can remember sitting on my dad's knee when the Giants won the Super Bowl in 89-90 and uh, threw it that field goal kick. And I can remember that clearly. So I'm faithful and my kids are faithful to the Giants. And so, you know, the Giants and the Patriots, we don't get along very well since the Giants stole two Super Bowls from Brady. But uh, it was fun to watch, though, this past week. Um, it was fun to watch, but I'm kind of removed. But everyone around me is a New England fan. I know? bet. Yeah. Well, that's because in the Bible, the giant falls. And that's what happens. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's in the Bible, bro. Hey, you've written a, you've written a book, and it's come out um, recently called Bury Your Ordinary. Um, what's, the, what's the message of the book? What's the message of the, the title? What does it mean? Absolutely. So I think a lot of Christians right now, uh, across our country feel stuck, you know, really even across the world that we have created these ordinary routines for our spirituality. And then of course, we've all gotten turned upside down in the last 18 months to 24 months. And here we are in this moment, feeling a little bit spiritually dry, disconnected and stuck. And uh, the premise of the book is that, uh, that most people don't have an intentional plan for spiritual growth. Um, mm -hmm. We go to church, we maybe go to a small group. Those are all wonderful things. But when it comes to one-on-one -on -one practical habits in my life that really set my heart towards heaven and focus me on God, oftentimes Christians have wandered from those, uh, those things. And so um, over the course of 20 years, asking that question, what is discipleship in a very hands-on, very practical way, um, these habits emerged. And so this book is actually really a compilation of what my church has done for discipleship over the last 10 years and what I was doing even before that in a Christian community uh, for, for a previous 10 years before that. And so um, the whole idea of the book is that, you know, if you will set a certain pattern in your life through habits, it will actually produce a greater passion for God. Sometimes we wait for our passions and you say, I just don't have any passion for Jesus. Well, it's because the pattern in your life is suffocating your passion for God, you know? And so when we change those patterns, our passions come alive. And so those, you practice these habits yourself. I, do. I absolutely do. Yes. And, and what if you're, if someone's listening now saying, Hey, I'd, I'd like to grow spiritually. I'd, yeah. I'd like to become more than I am right now. Yes. Um, what kind of habits would you encourage them to pursue? Yeah. I think all spiritual growth starts on the foundation of grace. And that's what the first two chapters are about in the book. There's a, a chapter called how Christians grow. And uh, I think we have a counterintuitive uh, idea around spiritual growth. We think, well, if I try harder, you know, then I'm going to become a better Christian, a better follower of Jesus. And most of us have smashed straight into Romans chapter seven, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't do, I do in spite of myself. And so I think all spiritual growth, according to scripture, begins with the truth of grace that God in me is the transforming agent in my life. But now with that truth of grace as my foundation, I'm no longer working 
for God's acceptance, but through Christ, I'm working okay. from his acceptance. Okay. And now with that foundation, I do need, I do need a habit or a pattern that will reinforce that conviction of grace. And so I talk about the first three habits as centering habits. Those are things that keep my life centered on God because everything in this world is going to force me to drift. You know, like if you're out on a boat in the middle of the ocean, if you're not fixed on a certain point, you're just going to drift all over the place and end up somewhere you don't intend to go. And so it all starts with centering those first three habits. And then the second two, I call guardrail habits. Well, actually habits four and five, the second cluster and those are the habits, those deal with sex and money. Those are the habits that keep my life, you know, from flying off the tracks. And then uh, habit six and seven, I call long haul habits. And those are the habits that how do you stay in a vibrant and dynamic relationship with Jesus for five years, 10 years, 20 years over the course of your life. And so that's a, a quick synopsis of the seven, but obviously I didn't get into the specifics, but no, but a centering habit would be what? Like, cause that, what does that language mean to somebody? Absolutely. So the first centering habit is super practical. And it's one that I think most Christians that have been around Jesus and church for a long time, they go, oh yeah, absolutely. But they don't fully grasp. I call it the habit of relationship. And that is prioritizing time alone with God first in my life. And so my challenge is not to just have a quiet time, but to develop a seeking God lifestyle. And that starts by devoting the first hour of your day to seek God through scripture and prayer. And for some Christians, that sounds really normal and their, their time just needs a kickstart because it's gotten mundane for other Christians. If we're honest, we live in a culture that teaches us, you know, can't stop, won't stop, can't stop, won't stop always on the move. And we have five minute or 10 minute devotion in the beginning of the day. But just imagine if, you know, if I treated my wife that way and I said, Hey, honey, you know, I love you so much. You're going to get five minutes of my attention, you know, in the beginning of my day, or I'll talk to you while I'm driving to work. And that's all we're going to get. We're gonna have a great relationship. No, we're not right. It's going to take some time. And so the first habit is this habit of relationship, which requires a reordering of my life so that time alone with God becomes first in my daily routine. You know, uh, this past weekend, uh, I went through 10 hours of motorcycle training. <laughs> There you go. Something, something I've always wanted to do at my age. And uh, I learned a lot. You know, I think the first thing is that, you know, what you focus on is what you're going to hit. It's it. So you got to keep your head up and you got to focus on the goal where you're going, not on that hazard. And I learned that the hard way. Uh, oh, no. First day. Uh, Justin, a lot of us are stuck. Yeah because we're ruminating on that hazard. Yep. Yep. That failure or how we've been mistreated. Yep. How does that play into your habits for growth? Yeah, absolutely. I think it all starts with this daily time with God, but I do think that we have the wrong idea when it comes to spending time with God. I think that a lot of Christians spend time with God really to kind of punch the clock. We say, I know I'm supposed to pray. And I think a lot of Christians carry a lot of guilt with, oh, I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I'm not a good enough Christian, but I know I'm supposed to. And so let me try to do something. And that whole mindset is kind of the opposite of how we should approach um, time with God. The, the, the idea I unpack in the book is that the deepest need in your life is not for your circumstances to necessarily change. The deepest need in your life is an accurate view of God. That if you can see him clearly, you can see all other things clearly. And so your time with God is about learning to see him as he truly is. 
And so understanding that time with God is like manna, that, that just as the manna fell from heaven, but by midday, it had disappeared from the ground in the Old Testament. So God allows a first time in the morning to really be where you can receive spiritual bread, not to punch a clock or earn brownie points with God, but instead to recalibrate your perspective, to say, God is God, and I can trust him, and I can lean into his promises, I can understand his faithfulness, and then I can get my eyes off of that thing that's exploding and onto one who is transcendent, and now everything in my day looks different. My problems look smaller, my God looks bigger, and I can step into my day with faith. And so it's just that's just one of seven. But that first one really does get you centered uh, on a daily basis. And, and you encourage that to be early in the morning. I heard you say early in the morning. Like that's the habit you encourage people to do. Yeah. In the book, I unpack it. But there is a power in first, right? So the Bible teaches this all through scripture in various different ways. Uh, but this idea that whatever you do first, it has implications for everything else in your life. And so, again, this isn't legalism. You might say, well, I have to be at work at 5 a.m. Or, you know, there's all different issues in life. I understand that. But let's not use those issues as an excuse to not make God priority. Really, if we're willing, and I always, I always challenge people all the time, just try this for 30 days. Like, try it for 30 days and watch how your peace really becomes greater. Watch how your focus on God. You can hear his voice more clearly. Uh, and so, yeah, spending that time first, and of course, in the book, I give very practical handles, like what in the world do I do for an hour alone? You know, um, what, what practically should I even be working through during that? I give some really practical uh, outlines for time with God, but this first habit really does kind of set yourself up for habit two, three, four, and onward. And did you say, I just want to make sure I heard it right, that, that sex is one of your habits, <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm married. And so praise you, Lord Jesus, sex is one of my habits. But, um, but yeah, uh, that habit, the habit, I call it the habit of righteousness. It's living free from sexual brokenness. Okay. And it's really embracing biblical boundaries around my sexuality. And I think a lot of Christians know that we're supposed to do this, but we don't actually have boundaries in place that keep us walking uh, the path of righteousness that God required. And again, this is an issue of, well, my passions, I, I don't know if I've ever met a person that naturally conforms exactly to the biblical version of, of, of holiness and in, in sexuality. I, not, none of us do. We all have inclinations and desires outside of God's best for us in this area. And so uh, the habit of righteousness is really a step of faith to say, I'm going to live my life based on biblical sexual boundaries, and I'm going to believe that this isn't robbing me of joy, it's actually producing joy. How does you know, that mess? Uh, you, you're right next to a university? Sure does, yeah. yeah. So yes. these are university, away from Part mom and dad. Yeah. It, yes. How does that message relate to the audience that you are trying to help? Yeah, so of course, we have hundreds of Yale students connected to our, our New Haven location, and then our various other locations. We have a Worcester location, a Hartford location, Springfield uh, the number of college students that we get to connect with, it's, it's a real gift to be able to impact the next generation. But it's so funny that I think that we're at a moment culturally where uh, young people are becoming more and more aware that the secular concept of sexuality and fulfillment and identity hmm. are not working. And so there is a profound openness right now to say, hey, 
Uh, I, you know, I'm sleeping around, I'm doing what everybody's telling me to do. And I'm more empty and more broken and more insecure mm. than I've ever been. So we've seen this resurgence of interest in uh, biblical sexuality and mm. in, uh, you know, a cadence of life that looks really different. That's pretty countercultural from the norm. And so that's really exciting because most, most of these kids, they don't have any church background, um, but they're coming in saying, what I'm doing is not working because I have it all. I'm going to the elite university and I am empty and, uh, and I'm searching. So yeah, that's what, that's what our experience has been. Uh, wow. That's so well said. Uh, Justin, let's shift to making disciples. Yeah. You know, uh, the late great Bill Bright yes. uh, used to say, God blesses those whom he trusts. Yeah. And so many of us as leaders, whether it be in the church or business or an organization, you know, we're praying, we're longing uh, for God to multiply us, mm -hmm. multiply our ministry, our influence and business. But we got to ask ourselves, you know, does God really want to clone us? Mm -hmm. So, and, and if not, then what are the habits that we need to apply? And that's one of the reasons why I love your book, you know, bury your ordinary yeah and and put these habits into practice because if you do god can't wait to multiply you that's absolutely right yeah i think you know first of all and my encouragement to anyone who finds himself in that position would be work through this book uh with a group of people and this book it, it evolved out of our leadership pipeline and so what i mean by that is we started wrestling years ago with what are the key habits that we have grown in our own lives as leaders in our church? And then we've seen as critical for the growth of other people. And we boiled it down to these seven. And so my encouragement would always be work through these habits yourself. And then I think there's a big gap also in, in Christianity today where most mature Christians can't point to too many people that they've actually discipled. And when we talk about discipleship, a lot of times it gets very murky and ambiguous, right? People are like, well, we meet for coffee and I help them with their marriage. That's great, but you don't have a plan for spiritual growth. This book is actually just a very functional manual. So I'm working with a guy right now. His name is Jesse. I led him to faith in Jesus uh, uh, back in April. And the first thing I did with Jesse is I just started him on time with God. That's the first habit. And he learned this habit. It's just become a normal part of his life now because he's wet cement. You know, he's new to, to Jesus. And so, and then I went straight to habit two. And then after about a month of working him with habit two, I went to habit three. It becomes a very functional process for spiritual growth that's intentional. And so, you know, you might be saying, oh, I've got this guy, I really want to grow him up, but I'm not sure what to talk about. Well, talk about habit one. And when that becomes a normal routine of his life, go to habit two. And so this process unfolds and it's very intentional in terms of the cadence of the habits by, we talked about the, the habit of righteousness, that's habit four. So by now you've built trust, you've built some, and now, you know, 97% of men have a, have a pornography addiction. We're going to need to talk about that because God wants to set you free, but you've got to create some limits in your life. And so we're there. We have trust now to deal with the challenging stuff because we've already walked through three habits together. A lot of people reluctant to really make disciples because it's this slippery slope where, hey, I'm okay with meeting with you at a coffee shop and opening up the Bible and 
reading through your book. Right. But that's going to lead to me now having to work with you on your messiness. That's right. That's right. And confront my own messiness. I think a lot of Christians plateau because they never are intentional about making disciples. I found in my own life that one of the greatest convictions, like tonight, I have a community group. We happen to be right now walking through these seven habits together. And so we're on habit one in my, in my small group. And when I'm teaching these, the personal conviction that I go through is incredible. It, it challenges me. It strengthens me. It convicts me. And so I think a lot of Christians plateau because they never, they never actually reproduce uh, in the life of another. And so sometimes once you've grown to a certain place, the only way to grow is to give it away. And so um, this book just Good. gives you some really practical handles on how to do that. I just find in my own personal life that I've got some habits that are best practices that you're talking about. Yep. And I have this natural tendency to drift and That's I right. need the Holy Spirit to keep calling me back to him, calling me back to him. So I'm sure there are people watching, friends that are part of the Influencers podcast, and, and they would like to get a hold of this tool to help them. They'd like to learn a little bit more about your community and the voice that God has given you. So just walk us through how uh, our friends can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'm actually most excited about is on barrierordinary.com, just one long word, barrierordinary.com, uh, we put up a free resource, which is an eight-week small group study uh, through the book. And it, that it's just so powerful to do this in a group. And so you get five or 10 friends together, you start working through these habits, and it's just it's so powerful to do it together. And so barrierordinary.com, that's a free resource. You can download it, print it off, uh, give it to, uh, you know, the guys in the group. And, and we've just seen hundreds of people go through this process and the uh, excitement, you know, the, the tagline of the book is practical habits of a heart fully alive. It really does just set a community on fire when you have um, this type of just working together. So barrierordinary.com is the website. Uh, also, voxchurch.org is uh, is the website for the church that just has sermons and all other kind of resources available. Well, thank you for your voice that is calling people to not just love Jesus, but to actually serve him. Appreciate Amen. that so much. Appreciate your time that you've taken with us. And God bless the many locations that you have and the ones that are coming. Because Amen. we're praying for New England to have a revival. And, and maybe you know, unless you're a pastor, you're there. Could you just like pray for revival in America and pray for revival to sweep from New England to touch the whole nation? Yes, Lord. God, we come to you today and we know that you, you respond to believing prayer. And so by faith right now, we ask you, Lord Jesus, would you move? Thank you that your word says you're faithful to a thousand generations. You told us that if we would humble ourselves and pray, seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, that you would hear us, forgive us and heal our land. Mm -hmm. So we pray that you would do that in our day and age in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the influencers podcast on the charisma podcast network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the influencers podcast official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change. 
that draws the world closer to Jesus.